morning. It's good to be back. I I see what Paul meant more and more when I go visit the churches there and then come back, or when I leave here and then come back. He missed them. He wanted to see them. He wanted to fellowship with them. And if possible, be in two places at one time. But it's not possible yet. And the brothers there and sisters told us how much they missed us. And we said, well, we'll see you again. And if not, then don't worry. We'll have plenty of time to catch up in the kingdom of God. Plenty of time to develop these friendships that we may not have as much time as we wish we had now. Jesus saves. Climb the hills, cross the waves. As we were traveling, for our visitors, we have a a family that is sent out by our church in Cambodia, uh, an ethnic Cambodian family. They've been there since 1999. And we just went for a visit. And the plane trip, the earth is massive. If you forget this, let me remind you. The plane travels at almost 600 miles an hour, and it takes 20 hours of flying to get there. So the earth is massive. But it's better than taking a four-month boat cruise as they would have had to done probably when that hymn was written. Cross the waves. Go to every place. Jesus saves. We had an opportunity to visit some of the ancient temples that are in Cambodia. And they're really marvelous to look at and fascinating and the history of it and all that. But um, one day I was walking with the two Catherines and um, we, I said, you know what I keep thinking about when I see these temples? That even the height of man, their temples are now in shambles and crumbling. And if we didn't take great measures to, pr- to protect them, to restore them, behold, we would remember them no more. Gone. Not so the kingdom of God. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His throne is a throne that is always occupied by Him. That is a pleasant thought, isn't it? A righteous king, all-powerful, all-knowing, and good, and His kingdom never ends? Take me to that kingdom. Come soon, Lord Jesus. The brothers and sisters there send their greetings and their love to you. And they told us again and again, they pray for us all the time. They truly believe that they are partners with us in the ministry that we have here. As we are partners with them in the ministry they have there. This is a beautiful thing. Well, God willing, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. I'm not John Calvin. I haven't been gone that long to pick back up where we left off. But we'll turn to Acts chapter 25. And God willing, today we're going to read uh, chapter 25 and 26. 
This is a lot of narrative, a lot of repeat from what we've already gone over. Um, but I think it's better if we just read these two chapters and then discuss it that way. Last time we discussed chapter 24. Paul was making his defense before Felix. And he had been charged with three things. you remember the charges they brought before him? Or against him? They said, this man is a plague. <laughs> so that's pretty, ex- pretty extreme. He stirs up riots wherever he goes among the Jews. And he's a ringleader of a new sect called the Nazarenes. Or you could call them Christians, right? They've already been called Christians at this point. And Paul made his defense against those charges. He said, it's only been 12 days since I came to Jerusalem. You think that's enough time for me to work sedition among the people and stir up a giant riot? It's like, I just got here. It's not possible. And they, they're lying. They didn't find me disputing with anyone. I was not stirring up any crowd. They had made an accusation that he tried to um, profane the temple by bringing Gentiles in there. He says they're lying. I didn't do that either. As to whether I'm a ringleader of a new sect, guilty as charged. Right? He says what they're really upset about is because I proclaim Jesus as the resurrected Lord. That's the point. All these other things, really, they, they just can't take it. That Jesus said he was going to rise, and he did. They refuse to believe the truth. And then you remember we had a discussion. One point that Paul said is that there would be a resurrection of the just, which what we would call believers, those who have been atoned for. A resurrection unto life. And then we discussed this resurrection Paul calls of the unjust. What we would say the unsaved, the Wicked. And we had a a lengthy discussion, which I repeated when I went to Cambodia, about Jesus' teaching that the reality of hell is terrible, awful, horrific, and it's worth avoiding it, is worth taking extreme measures. Quote, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it would be better to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Mark chapter 9. 
Do you see Jesus' point? Do you, can you picture someone actually tearing their own eyeball out? It's a grotesque image. And Jesus said, if you needed to do that, if your eye was causing you so much grief that it was going to cause you to go to hell, tear it out. You think having one eye is bad. Hell is terrible. Please, I don't think the gospel is a club. It's a ointment, isn't it? It's a balm. But th- these are not my words. This is Jesus himself. If you say I'm, I'm too much hellfire and brimstone, well, listen, let the text say what it says and you receive it. Paul insisted that he was on trial because his accusers reject the resurrection of Jesus, and so they desired to kill him, get rid of him. And if you remember, Felix basically chooses to not decide the case. He basically holds him in custody, the Bible says, for two years until a new ruler, one named Festus, began to reign. And so, that's where we start chapter 25 with this new ruler. So let's read chapter 25 and 26. And by the way, I I believe the scriptures were meant to be read and heard in big chunks like this. We're not used to it, but I, I think in the day, people wouldn't have had their own Bible. They wouldn't have been diving into one half of a sentence and trying to develop this big theology on it. It was meant to be heard in big chunks. Verse 25. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is any wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, quote, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem? And there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar." 
Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. Verse 13, Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left in a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appeared to be kept in had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear this. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Let's stop there for now. <clears throat> so verse, or, um, chapter 25, we see what's going on. There's a new leader there who, um, named Festus. He's the new Roman provincial governor. And he meets Jewish leaders who are still hoping to assassinate Paul. If you recall, they had made, some of them had made a vow in the past that they were not going to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Well, now two years have gone by, so I'm assuming they started eating and drinking again, but they haven't ended their desire to assassinate him. And they're still trying to figure out there's a new ruler. They say, let's bring him up to Jerusalem. We can try him here. They have plans already to kill him. And I think this Festus, he's trying to put himself on good terms, right? These Jews have been troublemakers in the past and brought shame on the Roman rulers who had been in the area because there's just always so much going on in the area. 
seems like he's trying to get on their good side. And they want to bring it, bring up this whole, you know, that as soon as he becomes governor, they say, there's a prisoner in there that we've been waiting for a verdict on for over two years. Can you get on that right away, please? We want him tried and killed, right? Festus said they cried out that he should no longer live, this, this one. Um... So Festus goes down from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which we discussed in the past. It's about a 75-mile trip. So not super close, but not real far either. Um, Paul could appeal to Caesar, right, because he's a Roman. We discussed that in the past. He was born in a um, place that was given Roman citizenship by birth is very special um, to have at that time. And also, listen, the emperor at that time, you know who the emperor would have been at that time? Nero. Not a great Christian uh, advocate, to say the least. But that's who Paul's appeal is he's going up to the top. Um... But really what's happening, too, I think, is more than Paul even knew, right? His appeal is, is going to take him basically to the center of the known world with the gospel. We've seen this again and again as he makes his defense. He, he tells them everything that's happened. I was against the church at the beginning. God came to me. He revealed himself to me. I've been preaching the gospel ever since. And he said it to regular people and to Jews and to people in high positions. And now um, before two governors and soon before King Agrippa as well. Sometimes um, trials happen to us, but they're for good reasons, right? We might wonder, he's such a good person. Why did it happen? And you... There's a, um, there's a presupposition that people have that's a wrong one. That if bad things happen, then they must have sinned. There must be something that happened. Or the supposition is, they didn't deserve that. That was wrong. God shouldn't have done that. But listen, can we really answer back to God and ask Him why He does what He does? Can we not learn from Job when God says, listen, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. I've got a lot going on. And if I told you, your brain would explode. Were you there when I created the universe? You're talking about your body hurts. You have some boils on you. You have trials. Okay, I created black holes. You don't know anything. Just be quiet basically, is what Job had to learn. And I pray that we would learn that. There are things at play that we don't know about, that we can't understand, and if God tried to explain it to us, we wouldn't be able to understand. 
How can God's providence be at work in all people at all times? How can He hear 10 billion prayers at the same time? Our brains cannot understand that, but He can. He does, in fact, hear. And He answers. And how can God answer when one guy prays for rain and another guy prays for it to stop raining? How does God know who to answer? How does He know what to do? Is He in a constant state of dilemma? Gosh, I'm not sure which is the right path. No. We like to consider or imagine, when I say we, I mean humans, that God has these dilemmas that we have. He does not. He does not. What would the dilemma be about? Did He make a wrong choice somewhere? Is he going to change his path? Why would he change? Is he in error about something? He's not. Paul is in prison. He's been in prison. I think Paul understands that he's, God's been using it for good. But I just wanted to bring that up to you guys. He, he's about to be sent to Rome, the center of the known world. And as he preaches the gospel, the gospel is going to go to all all areas of the new world of the known world. It's a blessing, even though being in prison is not pleasant. I'm sure. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about Agrippa for a moment. This is the son of Herod Agrippa, who had died earlier in Acts. The one who had killed James. And he came to power. And verse 14 of 25, if we look there, um, Festus sort of blames Felix for this whole situation. There's a man left in prisoner by Felix. So he's just come to power. He's got some loose ends. He asks for the king to help him to figure it out. And he's like, really, this is Felix's problem. It was dumped into my lap, but it's really Felix's problem. And he's like, this man has appealed to Caesar, and that's fine. I would rather be rid of him. I'll send him to Caesar. But I can't just send him with no charge. He says, it seems unreasonable to me. He appealed to Caesar. If I send him there, what's the charge? There's nothing he's done that against Roman law. We've got to figure out some charge. Can you hear the case with me? Maybe you can know of a charge we can assign to him. And I think we know that Festus perceives that this is a serious matter. Because of the amount of unrest among the Jews. Um, Verse 24, if you look there. Um... 25-24 King Agrippa and all who are present with us you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here shouting that he ought not to live any longer in Festus's mind this is every person in Jerusalem 
and in Caesarea. They all want Paul to be killed. It's a serious matter. And we saw that before, remember? When almost 500 troops were sent to send Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea in the beginning because they had heard about a plot. This is a very serious matter. Okay, well, let's look to chapter 26. So they're looking for a a specific charge to send him to Caesar. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. For they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul's basically saying, I I was against this movement too, before. Verse 12, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. 
For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. We've heard the way Paul preaches the gospel a few times already, right? We've heard it in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 17, various ways that he goes about presenting the gospel. Um, And in chapter 26, there is a a good summary and said a little differently than the way he said it in the past. But but we'll get there. Verse 1, Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. It's a small thing to say, but it seems like that, that is evidence that he has formal debate Speaking training. He put out his hand to make his defense. Um, Like the posture of a public speaker. And he says in verse, those few verses, that really I'm on trial because for claiming that the hope of Israel is fulfilled in Jesus. All that Israel's been hoping for, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. The capstone, if you will, of all that God's been doing. The chief cornerstone of all the prophets, all the scriptures, all the way up to Jesus. Here's finally God's last piece. Put the cornerstone in and it'll all be finished. And the Jews missed it. It's like all the building blocks are already on site, Jonathan. They're already there. And they say, okay, we're ready for the capstone. And God says, what? I already sent the capstone. Like, what? Where? This day, to this day, the Jews are still looking for the capstone. They don't realize. They've stumbled on it. They missed it. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel. 
Paul proclaims that the, the promises made to the Jewish people in Christ are fulfilled. You may, sometimes people say, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And I'll say, yes, he did. And it is fulfilled. And also that time has ended. Now is the time for the new covenant in his blood. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's difficult to define exactly what is different between these two positions. But we're not obeying the Ten Commandments. We're not under the law of Moses. I, I love the Ten Commandments. I love how God worked with His people. But that covenant has been fulfilled. The Bible describes it as a, a caretaker that was given to us for a time. But now that Jesus is here, there's no need for it. Uh, I'll say it in an easier way. If you had someone watch your house while you're gone, my neighbor watched my house while I was gone. When I come home, it's not his job to watch the house anymore, right? I'm home now. I don't, thanks for watching it. I'll take over now. This, this is the right way to think about the Old Covenant Scriptures. It was a tutor to lead us to Christ. But now that Christ is here, we don't need the tutor. We have the substance. We have all that Moses and the prophets had promised is fulfilled in Jesus. Fulfilled. He says, I didn't come to take away the law. No, he didn't. He came to fulfill it and end that time period and start the new covenant in his blood. And that's what Paul's arguing. He presents the gospel as the fulfillment of his Jewish hope. If you look at verse 6 and to 8 of 26, I stand here now on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain, as they earnestly worship night and day. For this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? It's interesting. And also, you know, this is probably still a, a point... You remember that the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, and the Pharisees did. And Paul asserts, everyone knows I was a Pharisee. And we believe in the resurrection. We always have. And I know it's true now. I've spoken to Jesus, who was dead, but is now alive. That's the source of controversy here. Paul understands that it is the fulfillment of what the Jews had hoped for. If you look at Daniel 12, Ezekiel 37, Isaiah 53, these are all things that are used and applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Paul says, this is what we've been hoping for. This is what God had prophesied to us. That his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. It would go on and on and on. 
Verse 10, Paul says, I endorsed, he says, I cast my vote. I'm not sure that they were voting on whether or not to kill the Christians. I, I think he's just saying, while they were being killed, I agreed. I wanted it to happen too. Um, and this is interesting. Verse, If you look down to... You know, verse, he says, the reason why I was going to Damascus was the same reason. I was going there to round up Christians and put this this rogue sect of Judaism out of commission. And while I was going there, Jesus met me. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. This is interesting, this this idea. A goad. You know, a goad is like you're trying to get the cow to walk and it won't go, and you poke it with the goad. Some sort of sharp something. Come on, get moving. Get moving. And God's telling him, don't, like, don't be like a stubborn animal that attempts to fight the sticks that are used as goads. It's hard to kick against the goads, Paul. Are you really going to keep fighting against me? You can't. You, you can't win. Don't be stubborn. You, you won't succeed in fighting against me. And, and I'll, I'll say that to us as well. Can you hear it? Don't kick against the goads. Don't be like a stubborn animal who's trying to fight against their owner. Submit to God. Humble yourself. Um, So verse 18 and on down, Paul summarizes or details what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus. Um, He basically um, identifies himself. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Stand up on your feet. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I'm delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. We saw, we've seen that a lot in Acts already. Multiple times people have had plots against him, both Jews and Gentiles, and God has delivered him in miraculous ways sometimes, right? Prison doors just open. All the chains just fall off of them. How is this possible? It's a miracle. God had determined to deliver him as he had promised to him in his original calling. And this is how he summarizes the gospel that Jesus sent him to do. And let me remind you about this. Paul was accused that his gospel preaching was a derivative of other people's preaching because he had never met Jesus personally. You remember this accusation? Your message isn't yours. You're getting it from other people and kind of changing it a little. And Paul rejects that completely. 
and if you remember historically, he didn't go to Jerusalem right away, right? For a while, he preached. And then when he finally went to Jerusalem and met the other brothers there, they were like, what have you been preaching? Can you tell us your message? And he told them, and he, the Bible um, testifies, they agreed with it. Yep, that's the same message we heard when we walked with Jesus. But when you're going, remember, don't forget about the poor. And Paul was like, well, no, we wouldn't. We, we want to help them too. But the point is, the, the word that Paul has, he got directly from Jesus, not from others. But that message is the same as what he had taught his disciples as well. And this is what he said the mission was. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> by faith in me. I mean, if you want to know what the gospel is, this is the gospel message. People are in darkness. Sin has corrupted everyone. Not completely 100%. They're always as bad as they could possibly be. But definitely all parts are corrupted in some ways. And the Bible describes this situation as being in darkness. And the gospel work is to bring them to light. Or if you want to describe it in a different way, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Remember Jesus said, why can't you hear my words? Why can't you understand me? You want to obey your father, the devil. It seems to be very similar to what Paul is saying here. That God's work is to deliver people from darkness and Satan, which we could define as the deceiver, right? A liar. And that they would receive forgiveness for their sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Evangelicals and especially Baptists, are often accused of staying on the subject of sin too much. You guys are doom and gloom over there. It's all bad. Everybody's just bad, bad, bad. Why can't you be positive? And if... if I'm not sure what Baptist churches they've been in, but I found the experience to be overwhelmingly positive. But to pretend that sin isn't the big issue, that's just false. Sin is the big issue. It's the whole problem with the world. Sin is the problem. And the good news is that Jesus is undoing the problem. He's the new Adam. There's a new people of God. People that are sanctified by faith in Him. 
Verse 19, Paul says, Therefore, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Good for Paul. God told him, You're not going to be able to kick against the goads. And Paul says, You know what happened, king? I was not disobedient. I did not kick against the goads. I started following what God told me to do. I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout the whole region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is the same subject we just discussed. Is sin the issue or not? What should people do if they want to be right with God? Repent. That's what you should do. Repent. And as we talked about this morning, Brother Chip, the idea of you reap what you sow. Those who do good will enter life and those who do bad will not. I think this is the idea. Repent. Turn to God. Performing deeds in keeping with repentance. The works are the evidence that the repentance is real. I think that's the point. Not the reason for the salvation, but evidence that the repentance is real. For this reason, verse 21, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. They oppose him. Paul proclaims Gentiles and Jews receive forgiveness of sins, both, and can be a part of the kingdom of God. But the Jews were offended if Paul would tell them they need to repent. Repent? We're not sinners. The Gentiles are sinners. And, you know, we know this. They, they were wrong. If we look at the history of Israel, God often killed off many of the Israelis. Why? Sin, disobedience, rebellion, idolatry, adultery. Verse 22, To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul said the same thing that Jesus told those walking on the road. All the prophets, all the scriptures are about me. And says he started and explained it to them. Paul says... What I'm telling you now is nothing different than what Moses and the prophets said would come to pass. And there's the idea of conquering here, Eric, but it's, I think, a different type of conquering. A conquering of death itself. Being the first to rise from the dead. And you might say, no, there's other people, Brother Bill, who are, have risen from the dead. What about the young boy that was risen from the dead or the or excuse me the young girl or the widow's son or Lazarus these people did not conquer death they were 
um, temporarily saved from death, but they did not conquer death. Lazarus is not among us to this day. He's dead. But Jesus has conquered even death. And by his conquering, it's the guarantee that others will conquer death as well by him. Verse 24, Festus is like, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's all your learning. This learning has jumbled up your brain, and now you're crazy. Even though Festus has already heard him speak on it before and didn't declare him to be guilty. You're crazy. But, you know, this is what Paul and this is what the Scriptures teach. Places like 1 Corinthians, where he says, To the Jews were a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, this is foolishness. Festus is like, this is foolishness. You are crazy. Verse 27, Paul makes it personal. Well, 25, 26, he says, the king knows about these things. Um, Agrippa makes kind of a funny statement. Verse 28, are you trying to make me a Christian? I'm the king here. Are you really trying to convert me right now? Paul's like, yeah, I am. (laughs) It's like, in a short time, you want me to be a Christian? He's like, well, I don't know if it's short or long, but yeah, that's the goal. Repent. Believe in the Lord. You'll be saved. And so they, they decide there's really nothing. What charge are we going to send with him? He's crazy. Doesn't seem like a good enough charge. And apparently there must be some sort of rule that says once you appeal to Caesar, you have to go. Even if they decide there's really no case, you have to go. It seems that this appeal to Caesar is some sort of rule or law that citizens could be tried in official courts to protect them from some sort of local rulers that were corrupt. Um, Even though they were not allowed to accept money like this, it was known that Roman officials were very corrupt. And so someone could say, I appeal to Caesar, and there's no way they could overturn it. They have to send them out of the local area. But it seems like if they could overturn his appeal or just ignore it, then he would have been set free, which we see that. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. It's not a sin that he appealed to Caesar. It's just you've appealed, now your case has to be heard. Well, I know that was a lot, but I I think we needed to go that far today. Please... Don't miss the gospel message there. This is what Paul's doing. This is what discipleship has been doing since the time of Jesus. Telling people the good news, opening their eyes, opening their ears, that they can turn from darkness to light. 
from the power of Satan to God. That they can receive forgiveness of sins. Sin is terrible, but forgiveness of sin? That's wonderful news, isn't it? I mean, sin, the guilt of sin, when you know you've done it, and you feel terrible about it, or if you've ever sinned against a person and you know you have to face the person and admit what's happened and ask for forgiveness, and you know how you feel before it's over? The feeling that's inside of you? Guilt? But then when you receive forgiveness, that's beautiful. Jesus said, are you weighed down? Is it, is it heavy? Are you pulling a big load? Are you tired? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Forgiveness. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Thanks be to God for the scriptures. Let's have a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for um, the Bible that you've preserved it from, from ancient times until now. Father, that we have it in English. That it's a reliable translation from the old texts. Father, thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to live up to what we already know. That the scriptures testify clearly Jesus is alive. And that those who believe in him will also conquer death. Oh Lord, you've promised eternal life to those who follow you. Would you help us? Help our faith, Lord. Help us that by any means possible that we can attain to the resurrection of the dead. Help us, Lord, please, to believe the things that you've given to us. And help us to be witnesses to those around us. Father, we're, we're not better than anyone. We're, we've received forgiveness and we want others to know about it. Please help us, Lord. Help us to be a good church. Help us to love people. Thank you for our visitors today. Pray that you'd bless them too. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.